This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Patrick Briscoe. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to, to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, Father Patrick, you and I were just um, participants in a great recording adventure, uh, the name of which was God's Planning Quarterly Recording. As Father Bonaventure would say, it's always live. Um, but it was somewhat wild insofar as we were anticipating certain parts of the Lenten liturgical season, even before we had embarked upon our Lenten journey. So it put yeah. us in a Lent thinking experience, and uh, I think we're going to head in that direction. But first, I think you have a Lent-based announcement for our for our viewers. It's true. Actually, we have something very exciting to share. I don't know how many of our listeners have checked out the St. Paul Center. Um, if that name means anything to you, if that rings a bell, um, the St. Paul Center is the Center for Biblical Studies based in Steubenville, founded by Dr. Scott Hahn, which is an amazing apostolate founded to help Catholics know and love Scripture better. And most importantly, through that, knowing and loving Scripture to know and love Christ. This Lent, the St. Paul Center has a great opportunity to experience, to dive into all of its digital content completely for free. So that's why we're so excited to share this with you. So beginning Ash Wednesday, St. Paul Center will be launching Exodus in Exile, its first ever Lenten challenge. So you'll have the opportunity to walk alongside Dr. John Bergsma in a 40-day Exodus challenge. He'll reflect on one chapter of the book of Exodus each day and provide you with a daily challenge to grow deeper in your prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But like we said, all of the content on the St. Paul Center, all the digital content will be available for free. So you also have the chance to hear Dr. Scott Hahn present a series of talks based on his new book, Catholics in Exile. So join the Exodus in Exile Challenge by visiting stpaulcenter.com slash Lent and receive free access to every piece of digital content produced by the St. Paul Center, uh, including the recently launched Emmaus Academy, which is a digital learning platform with over 20 courses taught by world-class theologians. It's really a great apostolate and really something we think is worth your time, which is why we're happy to share about it on God's planning. But yeah, it's a it little is... bit strange, you know, because we're already in the fifth Sunday of Lent. That's where I was with you. <laughs> yeah, that we, we time traveled a bit, but, you know, time traveling has been known to produce mixed results. Um, if you're a human being and you're in the time travel capsule with a fly, it could produce especially mixed results. So you have a documentary that I once watched whilst in high school. I think it was called The Fly. Um, but, uh, but Father Patrick, rather than finding ourselves partially metamorphosed into a fly this Lent, I think the hope is that we would grow in our life of faith and that we would cultivate virtue and that we would deepen the hold of prayer in our lives and that we might even taste something of the divine life which awaits us in its fullness in heaven, but spills already over onto the surface of the earth here. So, uh, Father Patrick, do you have any tips or tricks for finding peace during this Lenten season? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's really important to talk about this finding peace, um, in part because it seems like we all need it so much. I mean, just like taking the context of our current global situation, which is not great, right? We have the Hamas attacks against Israel. We're approaching the second anniversary of Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. We've got instability in our own country with a presidential election coming up uh, here in full swing in the U.S. We've got the migrant crisis at the southern border. I mean, these are these are a lot of serious obstacles to our peace. And I think the most incredible thing is that 
Jesus comes to give us his peace this Lent despite all of that, and that his peace is going to be something which we can find in our hearts, something which we can attain without having to achieve world peace as such. I mean, the Lord, the Lord offers it to us. He says, my peace I give you. It's a promise. The Lord's words are true. We know that he's not deceiving us. And I think that peace is offered to us in a special way in Lent because of the kinds of solemn disciplines we take up, because of the aspects of the penitential season, and because of the rhythms of the church here. You know, I recently saw someone describe Lent, Father Gregory, as the time of cleaning out in the liturgical cycle. And he contrasted that with Advent, which is the time for getting dressed up, <laughs> which I loved. It's such a great, such a great image for Advent, right? We get dressed up. Father Bonaventure puts on a bow tie. And, um, you know, in, in Lent, uh, however, we're cleaning up. And I think that cleaning up again, that that disposition of fasting, that disposition of penance, that's that's part of what allows us to recognize the peace that the Lord is already giving to us, the peace that he wants really to reign in our lives. Um, I think I, I operate largely by way of random word association based on whatever it is that I have most recently read or watched or kind of seen in flashcard form. Uh, the most recent German word, which seems to pertain to the season of Lent that I have studied is ausgeräumt, which means like taken out, taken up, uh, overhauled, as it were. I think there's a kind of spirit of overhaul uh, which informs our Lenten practices. And I think like Lent is supposed to be disruptive. Um, and I think that there's something about Lenten disruption, which is actually uh, like anxiety inducing or peace robbing, because some of the pieces that we have are false pieces, like they're not true pieces. We've just settled on this particular strategy because it helps us to get by or it helps us to cope, or it keeps us from experiencing the difficulty of life and all of its terror. Um, so Lent is a time during which the Lord says, but wait, what if we took a good hard look at this here thing and got ourselves, you know, kind of deeper into the human realities at stake, um, which is a terrible prospect. Like I may or may not have told somebody today that the thought of giving anything up for Lent makes me want to cry because at present I am overwhelmed with responsibilities. And if I were to add in any way, shape or form to said responsibilities, like a task to be performed every day, I, I'd have great difficulty. I think I'd have great difficulty is not what I said. I think it was more severe and perhaps unrepeatable, but you get the idea. But I think that the point of Lent isn't so much to like add as it is to upset, as it is to destabilize, as it is to kind of pull out from what is fixed in your life uh, to make the determination whether or not it ought to be fixed there. So yeah, I don't know, Father Patrick, I think you typically describe life in less violent terms than I do. Uh, you, you tend to be a man of great serenity. Uh, so may, maybe where's, where's this piece to be found? I'm just not sure. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, first it be, be it, uh, it begins with a movement of heart. I mean, I, I didn't want to reveal every day this Lenten season, but uh, and dill pickle specifically, but, uh, you know, but, but it's, it, it is an option to, uh, just do the pickle fast, I suppose. Maybe uh, I'll just give up eating because that takes time. And if I don't, you could eat, be doing more work. Yeah. Yeah. You, bingo. <laughs> you weren't doing <laughs> Woof. Oh man. Yeah. So, so I think that, um, I think the part of, part of the work is done by the church for us, Father Gregory. Um, and we hear this, we hear the beautiful cycle of readings, um, which comes up in the Lenten liturgy, which we, which we've been uh, studying. Uh, so these familiar 
these familiar gospel accounts, which uh, which are just so extraordinary, come to us. Um, so, so the church sets the scene, right? The church sets the table for our Lenten serenity. I think another another thing that happens is in Lent, we're forced to realize that whatever it is we're working on isn't as important as what the church is having us do. So come Holy Week, uh, which is just absolutely exhausting when you're a priest, we don't have a lot of options about what, what we can and can't be doing because it's just so much. And the church is, the church is saying to us, this is what a priest is for. This is what this is what a priest should be thinking about. Um, and so the rites and rituals of the church kind of command our attention in a way that I find extremely peaceful. Um, and uh, they help steady me in a way that that we don't get through the rest of the the rest of the liturgical year. You know, like you get to you get to early July and you feel like the editors of the liturgy are just like shoving things in there. It's like, well, we got an open Sunday. So here's a, here's a paragraph we can read, but you don't really have that same sense uh, through the, through Lent, which feels so intentional. So I think those two things are very important. Um, the, uh, the, the way that the way the liturgy focuses our attention on certain perennial stories, um, which, which come up in Lent and then just demands us to think of uh, the priorities of life you know, as a priest, the way they just actually physically occupy our time. Um, and, I, and I think I think those are part of the font of serenity. And I would say, lastly, that the third thing is that the perspective that those familiar stories and um, and orientation by the by the church give us, because it's really hard to look at what Jesus is suffering and think, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not super interested in that as a Christian. To say like, oh, whatever I'm doing is more important than that, or, or that that suffering doesn't have anything to say to me, um, in in my my present life. I think, um, you know, when you're in the church and you're are you're all shouting, crucify him, um, you realize you, you're you're part of the problem with your with your sins, and that's a that's a beautiful call, um, to know the Lord's mercy and to experience thereupon new new sources of His love. When you say you realize, you mean you don't realize. Because, I mean, <laughs> what percentage of people who say things in church interiorize those things? Maybe that's the challenge. Maybe the challenge is to pay attention to what's already on offer in the liturgy, which we often kind of get through or get over or get past. And that sounds like, you know, a weak human being's excuse for not undertaking, you know, more things during the season of Lent or, you know, additional practices during the season of Lent. But um, I think that there is this kind of economy of, uh, of attention in the sense that we only attend to so many things and often enough our, our sadness is so consuming that it's all we can attend to. It's just like, bah. all right, I, maybe I'm being overly dramatic at this stage of the game, but it's my typical penchant. Um, but just to say like, all right, there is a sense in which uh, it, the song remains the same. Life is difficult. Here we go. But there are things to which I'm going to direct my attention. There are ways in which I'm going to rechannel it. There are ways in which I'm going to kind of sublimate it or whatever the appropriate verb is in the contemporary psychological and or therapeutic like, you know, register. But the idea here being let, let's let's attend to let's present like make ourselves present to what's at stake, even if that might have us torn away from our phones or even if that might have us torn away from ordinary coping mechanisms or get by itisms, we know, like. I think I think that those might be kind of at the heart of Lent and will unearth for us a kind of deeper peace, which lies at the roots of the spiritual organism, which at this stage of the game might just be wintry and sleepy. So 
final thoughts for the Patrick concrete practices. You've given a couple already. Um, any, yeah, you know, like it's the end of the game. Your team's up by 12. The shooting guard just got a steal and he passes to you in the open court and you're alone. Are you gonna do like a windmill dunk? Are you gonna go through the legs? Like the Lenten equivalent of that. Any final things that you want to just leave an exclamation? Yeah, half court shot. Um <laughs> and I would and I would say and, and with it I would say um Lent is a Lent is a time uh, most importantly to find God in new ways in your life, right? And I think that's really that's really where that piece comes from, right? It's not through anything we can do really it's through this dis this joy of discovering the lord in places um heretofore unknown or unseen places where he was heretofore unknown and unseen and i think that's that's really the key right because of course you know if we undertake this lenten campaign as something which we're going to white knuckle through or do of our own of our own will um, we're going to be frustrated um we're going to be exodus 90 i mean um we're gonna be, uh, we're 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 gonna be just just uh, just undertaking a whole a whole world of challenges that that maybe that maybe that maybe are not the best way for us to hear the Lord's voice given our current state in life. Dang, bro, that was some serious shade thrown right there. Um, well, cheers Don't to worry, you. I'll Adam Minahan later. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, I just like those of you who are at home keeping score. Uh, as to how many times the word heretofore has been used and who, which host, used said word heretofore. I just like to note that the score is one to zero. And it's it's shaping up not how you might have imagined at the beginning of the episode. So that's one Father Patrick, zero Father Gregory. The heretofore race is on. Um, all right, so we're going to head to some questions here from our Patreon patrons. Are there any instances in which free will can be infringed upon by God? I suspect the Catholic answer is no, but in the instance of mental illness where a person does not have full capacity over their faculties, isn't their free will impaired by their mental state? The existence of evil makes sense to me. Might sound a little off topic, but the idea of a person not choosing good due to sin, do, hmm? not choosing good due to sin sounds more reasonable than a person not knowing what good is and therefore not always choosing it. And if a mentally ill person chooses something evil but is not morally culp culpable due to their state, isn't that God using that person as a tool in his divine plan, ultimately limiting their free will? Victoria. S Victoria just goes for it. She's just like, I could ask you what your favorite color is or whether you prefer Bichon Freeze or Chocolate Labs, but instead, I'm just going to ask about the whole thing. So, Father Patrick, any introductory thoughts here? Yeah, my goodness. I mean, it re it really is. This is the you know this is a this is a class in fundamental Catholic theological anthropology, probably, huh? Um. So so, that. yeah. So what I would say is, um, uh, that that free will um is still sovereign, and that the imperfections experienced are known by uh by uh disease or or otherwise are um are exactly that the ex the exception um and that they're that they're not uh that they're not um the kind of thing that that disproves um uh, that disproves God, god's actions so i think that um i think that part of the answer is right to say that um that god understands what's going to come in his divine in, in his divine providence um but and so so obviously we we wouldn't want to see we wouldn't want to say that that isn't foreseen by him but uh, but I do I do want to say that um, people who are over the age of reason 
ultimately have a free will, even if it, even if it um, needs some love, even if it needs therapeutic care, even if it needs to be strengthened and conditioned. So I think I got to got to the start of my answer there. Yeah, you got some principles on the table. Uh, here comes FG just to say random things, which may or may not make sense to him or to others. Here to four, one to one. All right, we're even. Um, so uh, the, the the typical answer is that um, you have different anthropologies on on offer in the Christian tradition. Uh, the one that we typically give you is a kind of Aristotelian Thomistic anthropology. In that understanding, you have this immaterial power of cognition, which we call the intellect. And with any cognition, you have a kind of appetition which follows in its wake. So when you conceive of something as fitting for you, you incline to it. And then we'll talk about, so, so we call that faculty the will. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk about free choice, we're talking about an exercise of the will. All right. Now, insofar as the intellect is immaterial, right? It doesn't rely on any corporeal organ, you know, for its existence or its operation, though it does operate in and through corporeal organs. Um, but we have to defend the fact that it's immaterial because that's defined by, by Catholic faith. It's also discoverable by reason. Um, but you'll find sometimes that um, problems in the corporeal organs, like in the brain, for instance, or even in the body more broadly, can cause difficulties or can cause obstacles, pose hindrances to the exercise of free choice. Uh, so the exercise of the will as expressed in free choice. And that's what you have with like somebody who's sleeping, somebody who's in a comatose state somebody who experiences acute mental illness or somebody who experiences some, you know, malformation of an aspect, like a part of their brain. So we talk that it's like, we'd say that the the power is there, the will is there, but the exercise of free choice is inhibited or that an obstacle is posed to it. But we would also hold by faith that God does not, you know, permit any evil to befall unless he can bring about from it some good. And God is not going to unjustly condemn someone in, you know, like not providing sufficiently for their salvation. So we, we, we read in 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we want to affirm that the power exists kind of radically in all human beings, that its exercise can be hindered or otherwise obstaculized. There's a little Spanish word become English. Um, we're going to have a counter for that over here as well. That's one to nothing, Father Gregory. Um, I doubt the Father Patrick will get to the word obstaculized in this episode, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, hope springs eternal. Um, I'm going to yeah, and that and that um, we are responsible in a way that's kind of coherent with or in keeping with what God has provided and then what God has empowered. So if you have follow-up questions about that, super interested to hear them, but I think those are good principles with which to lead out. Yeah, I did, I did think of one thing that I did that I really ought to have said because this, this was kind of in the background of my stumbling and my answer right. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of addiction, which is which is a serious mental illness and it's something a lot of people struggle with. And we see the we see the ability for that cycle to be broken. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to stick that little nugget in there as a as a kind of example of the way that um, the, the complex interaction of um, therapeutic methods of God's grace of um, physical healing have allowed people to over overcome um, substance abuse. Boom. Nugget is also the name of the dog in the first of four books, which go by the corporate title, The Wingfeather Saga. I just finished the fourth book and I cried like a small child. So if you're looking for juvenile fiction, folks, and uh, you want something that's very Christian and quite artfully done, The Wingfeather Saga it is. Is it right, as sad where the red fern grows? What's that? Is it as sad as where the red fern grows? I've never read where the red fern, red, wow. red fern grows. 
Yeah. Oh, that's sad where the red fern grows. Is that where I'm going next? Yeah. Great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next next step, where the red fern grows. Next step. We can ask this question now, though. Okay. How would you go about Lenten fasting and mortification if you are a type A perfectionist personality type that tends towards extremity and for whom a fear scrupulosity of not doing enough creeps in? Diane. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Here's a, a little starter roo. I would say... So the prior of my community, who is also our novice master, says that it's good to at least pick one thing in each of the three kind of clarion calls of Lent. Why one need click his tongue before saying clarion calls of Lent? I know not, but I have. Um, So prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And I think the name of the game is to ask the Lord Jesus whether he wants you to go big or go little, because both are appropriate depending on time and place. Uh, depending upon the season of life, but you got to look to the Lord to inspire you and to convict you. So when it comes to prayer, I can say like at our church, we have these Lenten devotions, which are kind of ecclesial and then Dominican, like the Stations of the Cross or like the St. Catherine de Ricci devotion. When it comes to fasting, uh, you know, like a typical Lenten penance for religious, I mean, for religious during all the years that you wouldn't snack, uh, but we have more fasting in our life, fasting being you just have the one meal. And then if you get super hungry, then you can have two small collations, which don't equal a meal. Um, and then almsgiving is you undertake to support those in need. Um, and so we have, you know, a kind of community almsgiving project to which we all contribute in some way, shape or form. Uh, but I think that you're looking to do something kind of in each of those aspects of your life, because each of those aspects of your life taken together make up a human life, right? It's a human life as given to God. So you're looking for something that's integral and balanced, but you're looking to God to kind of enlighten you as to what it ought to be, and then to convict you as to how to carry it out. So, Father Patrick, your thoughts? Yeah, so in my ministry, as a lot of our listeners and friends know, I work for Our Sunday Visitor, and uh, it's an interesting ministry because it has a lot of business people in it, so it's not it's not run ministerially in the sense that a lot of Catholic ministries are run. These are great professionals, and uh, they use all kinds of business jargon. Mm. And one piece of business jargon I've picked up from them is smart goals. And smart goals are very helpful because I think a lot of people approach the spiritual life in generalities that are not actionable. So SMART goals, it's an acronym, um, but basically the point of a SMART goal is to orient what you're trying to do so that it can be achieved in a um, in a in a timetable that's actually going to be manageable. So it's kind of an HR tool, right? To assess um, assess whether whether or not an employee is growing the way they they should be growing, and kind of looking at uh, looking at the kind of thing um, that he or she needs to be doing. So you all probably know all this stuff because you are in the workplace and work for similar type company companies. Okay, so a smarkle um, is a great frame set, I think, for a Lenten devotion, right? So you need to uh, and for a kind of penance to pick up in Lent. So doing something that they can be done every day is important, right? Because part of the goal of our Lenten penances is actually to build habits that are going to perdure in our Christian life. Now, some things we do just for the time period of Lent, but ultimately it's to gain self-mastery and to accomplish a, a greater ease, a greater facility with um, virtues that we want to we want to live by. But you can't just say, I'm going to be brave in Lent. Um, that's not, you know, for my, for my Lenten penance this year, I'm going to, going to be brave when the opportunity arises. It's better to, it's better to take a particular opportunity and to say something like, well, I've got a coworker 
in my job who doesn't like the Catholic faith. And this Lenten season, whenever there are opportunities to defend the church rather than just kind of ignoring it, I'm going to speak about my love for the church. Okay, so that's so that that would be the difference between a kind of generic goal and something that looks more like a smart goal. Uh, so I think that's a really great way, again, to approach Lent with something that's very particular um, and actionable and very clear. Uh, so, for example, one hour of Eucharistic adoration a week. I think it's a great place to start in prayer for people. Or fasting once a day, give up a thing you want at a meal. So if you're a big salad eater, for example, um, don't put salt and pepper on your salad and just kind of just kind of go with it. The fact that it's going to taste more like what the rabbits eat. And for almsgiving, uh, decide a particular charity that you're going to give five dollars to a week or whatever, whatever, whatever you said. So so again, I think it's very, very important to be particular um, and and reasonable in our expectations. Yeah, and I'd say that when it comes to perfectionist personality type, ten stores extremity for whom fear scrupulosity of not doing enough creeps in. Um, I'd say that 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 thing that you mentioned, Father Patrick, about looking for the types of things which can last you a lifetime is a good kind of standard. I think that uh, there's a kind of like add three, subtract one type logic about Lent. Like Lent should, you know, it should betray a certain intensity. You're going to back off at the end of Lent to a certain degree or extent, but you're also looking to advance the kind of ongoing conversion in your life, which the Lord wants to work, provided that you, you know, give him the, give him the bandwidth. All right, here we go. Last question from a Patreon patron. What practices have helped you both to surrender more to God in your life and to loosen the grip on wanting to control outcomes, all the while being responsible and remembering that you have an active role to play in bringing to fruition God's plan in your lives? In my own experience, it's been easy to say, I surrender everything to God and his providence, but difficult to live that surrender well. Diane, Father Patrick. Diane, I recommend a novice master because, <laughs> because when you have a very intense man uh, often telling you truths in a boston accent that are difficult to bear uh, that this this disposition can be built up in you um so so there there is something about religious life about the schedule and about the demands of it that that build this up in us because there's so much of our lives that father gregory and i can't control not just the fact that he's yawning at my response right now but there's so much of our lives that 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 we that we we just we just can't decide um that's the proper domain of others and it's that kind of dying to self that that is necessary and part and parcel and at the central elements is the heart very heart of religious life um for lay catholics depending on your state um the same disposition is required toward a spouse um towards parents or children if you you have either either of those obligations um my sisters often joke about how they're just tiny human snack machines. You know, they went to grad school. And all, they, all they do is wait on these tiny humans. Um, and that, that demands a kind of death, death to self. Um, so, so I think part of it is the, the intentionality of the structure of life, um, whether you're religious or lay person, and to recognize that, that that belongs to God. It's part of his providence and being attentive to the, the needs of life such as they are according to our state matters. Um, and that that God is not an out there kind of thing separate from uh, the, the the state and central obligations of life, but but, but working for our sanctification through through these obligations um, through our state and life. Um, I love very surrender prayers, um, the litany of trust 
written by Sister Faustina Maria Pia, one of the Sisters of Life, is an absolutely fabulous prayer. It's been very helpful to me. I recommend it often. And the Litany of Trust is a great, great litany. There's um, like a Sacred Heart nine-day litany of surrender. Do you know that one, Father Gregory, what I'm trying to come up with? I've heard it, but I I mean, like I've seen it printed, but I haven't prayed it. Um, so so those are some um, kind of spiritual resources off the top of my head. In addition to what what I think is fabulous, the, the prayer you recommended, Diane, you say, I, I do this, um, I surrender everything to God and his providence. And the, the part of part of this kind of prayer, St. Faustina just said her prayer of trust, Jesus, I trust in you. It's just the same kind of act of surrender. Um, and to allow that to be as constant in our lives as our breath, right? Just to reclaim all of these moments of daily life for, for God by by giving them over to him. So that that's that's a start. That's just, and just a few ideas. Yeah, my, my experience is that when you try to control people, they hate you, um, which is you know kind of self correcting. Unless you want to be hated, I suppose, then it's not self correcting. I I struggle with this mightily um, because I'm like, all right, here are the outcomes that we want to produce. How about everyone just does his or her job, and then it's like, all right, we're still waiting on this person. Um, I'm going to send him a thousand emails or I'm just going to do it myself or I'm going to fill in the appropriate blank. The end result of which is somebody upset with me, just like my favorite thing. Um, so, I mean, there's like been various experiences in my life, which have been super helpful and healing when it comes to that. One is just working with good people, um, like kind of restores your trust in humanity and helps you to be human too. So like the folks that work for God's planning are great at their jobs and super prompt and just like, super responsive. So I checked, you know, the, there's a couple of women who work for us. I checked their work like once and then I've never checked it again uh, because it's just reliable and good. So um, yeah, it's awesome. And so I think that like, if you're gonna, if you find yourself in a situation where you're constantly nagging people or you're constantly like, yeah, just like leaning on people to get you the things that you need. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe it requires some kind of rearrangement. I mean, some, sometimes those people are your dependents or sometimes those people are your kids. And so it's, it's tougher to manage that. But I think you want to find yourself in relationships in which you, you experience like co-responsibility and that you are enlivened by that and enlightened by that. Because I help, I, I, my experience is that it helps you to trivialize the other parts of your life, which just you're stressing over inordinately or inappropriately, perhaps. Um, so that's all me just saying a bunch of crazy things, but you can't control outcomes. You can control the way in which you invest in relationships though. So, all right, Father Patrick, it's a sprint to the finish. This might be a shorter, uh, live stream. Let's see. Here we go. Emily Matienzo says, I wish you a fine Shrove Tuesday fathers. Thank you. Keeper of the Cheerio says awesome, by the way, asking for a prayer for a fellow mom at our homeschool co-op. She's in the middle of an early miscarriage, a somber beginning to Lent for our parish. It is indeed. We'll certainly pray. Sorry to hear. As long as it's not imprudent to answer, what are each of you doing for this Lenten season? Great question. Father Patrick, do you care to answer? I can answer a yeah, little bit. I don't, mind, I don't mind sharing at all. Um, so for, for a number of years now, my practice has been to give up alcohol, um, which is important. I do it because, um, well, alcohol is great. You know, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever tried it, but it's amazing. Um and uh, and I like it a lot. Um, so it's it's good to deprive myself of that. Um, and uh, uh, so it's a, so it's a sacrifice. It's something I notice from my life. And um, it's some, something that I enjoy that I that I intentionally um, go without um, to, to simplify things and be more attentive to God. Um, so uh, so I always do that. Um, and I'll pick up um, some some devotional reading. I don't really like reading about the passion a lot. You know, the kind of 
intense um, stuff about Jesus's death and the kind of uh, difficult, difficult readings that accompany the Lenten season. I don't really care for that. Um, so I do it, <laughs> which which I know sounds 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 a little little bit odd or a little bit intense, uh, perhaps. Um, so I, I always try and find a book um, that helps me to better appreciate the stations of the cross or the passion. And there, there are a lot of beautiful uh, texts on the seven last words, for example. Father James Brent is writing some right now for us over at our Sunday Visitors. Every Friday, we're dropping a, a new meditation on the seven last words um, to walk us through Lent. Those are they're very beautiful. The first couple are up already. Um, so, so I think that kind of um, penitential reading uh, is, is an important part of what I do during Lent as well. And then we have our, our additional community penances. They're charities we donate to, different silent, different periods of silence that we adopt as a community and and um, other kind of internal penances as well. Yeah, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, community penances uh, cover my experience of life as well. And then I'm just doing uh, no breakfast and no snacking. No snacking had been kind of like a lifelong penance that I had adopted, but the pressures and the sadnesses of the last several years have made it such that I snack like a little monster. Um, so I'm going to rein that in this Lent and see how it goes. I'll probably die. Um, so when you see Please a, kind don't. Of waste, a corpse wasting away on the side of the road, exposed to the elements, it's me, and I'd ask for a proper burial. Um, funny question to ask, but any advice on long-distance dating relationships? Ooh, great yeah, question. Yeah, from time to time. And, and it's an important one, right? Because I think... We all know that there's something fundamental um, in in a relationship about being present to someone. Um, you know, so this is true of our friendships, and uh, the the old saying "absence makes the heart grow fonder" is not um, necessarily self evident. I don't think it's actually true. Uh, I think I think it's very difficult, um, very difficult for a lot of couples to uh, to thrive in a long distance relationship, just because it's so in part because it's so easy for a miscommunication to happen that takes a long time to resolve. So it's not that I think it's impossible. Uh, and I'm, I've known some, some very healthy couples um, that have managed long distance well. Uh, one of the things they have in common is that they have clear expectations for how and when they communicate because it can be um, brutal, for example, to be waiting for the response to the text message or um, it can be frustrating if you don't know what the other person is doing. So just sharing your schedule and being clear about expectations of, of when you're going to connect and making making that connection a priority. Um, so th those are the two things that come to mind for me. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, similar thoughts, but I'd have a blackout time. Like I don't answer text messages after whatever o'clock, you know, choose 10 o'clock because it's just good to have clear boundaries. Otherwise, like ill-defined communications can sometimes breed suspicions, which can then undermine the relationship. So mm -hmm. I'd say have a blackout time. And then find ways of being present, you know, so like Father Patrick said, uh, Aristotle doesn't really think that you can have a friendship with another human being unless you share the same space because you have to have a kind of communicatio. You have to have a kind of good around which you congregate, which constitutes a genuinely shared life or a genuinely shared project. So it's got to be a priority to visit, to go back and forth. And uh, yeah, yeah, good luck. Uh, could the garments of skin that God gives to Adam and Eve be anything other than lambskin? I don't see why not. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Jose Perez says, thanks for that question. He also says that he loves Jesus. Victoria, who asked the introductory question, is still trying to understand the first one. <laughs> she, that's awesome. Either because our, our, our response was so profound or it was so opaque. 
<laughs> We're sorry, Victoria. We've tried. <laughs> yeah, we try to understand ourselves too with limited success. N.A. Scott says, Fathers, could you provide any insights on how to deal with negative feelings regarding events in the church while being charitable? Please pray for me as I discern the OPs. Blessed Lent, Nicholas. Father Patrick, you live in the news cycle. What do you do? Oh, you're yeah. giving up drinking. Uh, I know, because uh, the drinking helps with this. Um, <laughs> so it really does, yeah. Um, the, uh, so, yeah. So I've given a lot of talks about this, actually, um, about balance in media. Um, one thing that, that I keep coming back to uh, is to insist to people that they pray over things. And uh, th th there's one person in my life that, that it's a, that's a media colleague who I often call um, when I want to bounce things off of her, asking for advice. And when I'm really angry, often the first, not often, always the first question she asks me is, well, have you prayed about this? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> and... Uh, I think that is so, it's, you know, it sounds trite and it sounds not that helpful, but, but, but it is true. Um, you know, if we're going to comment on an administrative decision in the life of the church without having prayed about it, what was, what, what, what was us? What were we? So, so I, I think that's key. I also think that monitoring how and when we use media is really important. Um, you know, it's a bad idea to just scroll the news before bed, for example, it's a bad mm. idea to wake up and start scrolling the news. Like, mm. well, like, why would you, why would you intervene? Why would you interrupt those two privileged times with, with the out there news cycle, even if it's church news, um, probably, especially if it's church. News. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, so I, I think that I think putting up a, putting up a guideline there is, is real. So first praying second, you know, again, kind of, um, constructing some parameters of use for you. And, and then third is, um, being very judicious about the kinds of media you follow. And this one is really important because there are a number of Catholic sources that don't seem to really have the church's best interest at heart. And even despite the, the fact that founders or prominent figures declare themselves to be very faithful and educated Catholics and to be full of, you know, helpful criticism and all the rest. Um, it, just may not be the case. So I would encourage being judicious and critical of how the sources are operating um, and what it is that we think their their mission is. Um, so that that's the last thing that I would advise that that is really important. You know, assess what is the actual goal of the media outlet that you're continuing to go back to. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add. Sometimes I use the media just to keep me up because, like, it's either coffee or chocolate or anger. And sometimes I just like take a little look and then I get myself all jazzed. And that's like another good two hours of work before bed. So thus, <laughs> thus my balanced life. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, so David Dabrowski says, Father Pine echoes some of my deepest thoughts and sentiments. Thank Lord. Cheers. HG Mass says, Happy Ash Wednesday. Too, there you go. Not much a question, but a request. Please pray for us. Our university's chaplaincy will be holding vigil prayers at our lo local abortion clinic. God bless and may God continue to bless and keep you. Thank you. Thank you, H. We will. Um, oh, yeah. And then he does have, he or she does have a question. Any Lenten reading recommendations for a beginner? Thank you again. Yes. Yeah, I've got some great ones. So there's one that I love um, called What Jesus Saw from the Cross, which is by um, Father Serdiange. Father Serdiange is a great um, Dominican who was active in the early 20th century. Um, that's S-E-R-T-I-L-L-A-N-G-E-S. Go, Serdalange. Yeah. 
Um, that's probably the first time that's ever been done with his name. Um, so he read, wrote another great book on the intellectual life and the kind of spirituality of, of the Dominican order of seeking truth. Um, Father Serdinange's book, What Jesus Saw from the Cross, takes you through the holy sites. Um, there's another great book by Our Sunday Visitor about what Jesus suffered in the Passion by a medical doctor that know. examines the sufferings of Christ. That book is um, that book is tough. You know, it's gory, but it's very beautiful. Carol Hauslender has an amazing, um, uh, amazing book on the Stations of the Cross that was published kind of in the middle of the 20th century. And then again, I referred to the genre, the seven last words, and there, there are great collections of these. Fulton Sheen has got one. Um, uh, John Henry Newman has got one and many others. So uh, looking at the seven last words, these meditations on the seven sayings of Jesus as he was dying on the cross, there's a, there's a very profound, very, very beneficial um, place to go for Lenten reading. Boom. I have nothing to add on that. Um, Jose Perez says, the question about mental illness and free will was not me, but I'm thankful for the way you both handled it. Uh, Allison Wadowski, a God-splaining champion listener, says, Hey, Fathers, really great episodes of late. I'm now compelled to watch the Barbie movie. Tremendous. I haven't watched it either. Watch party at Allison's house. Everyone's invited, especially Marie Amirati. Uh, Excellent. Of Diocese of, of Arlington fame. I'll be difficult. How do you know when you find that piece? Well, Maria is used to nihilistic answers for me. So here's the thing, Maria. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. No. So, so Maria, you know, we can't allow Father Gregory's personality to dominate his approach to Catholic doctrine as if it were dogmatically declined, defined, declared by the, by our Holy Mother, the church. So here's the thing. I think that plenty of people can live in this disposition that they can find it um, in life and that that sense of peace really means a kind of confidence about life with God. Just saying, all right, uh, I think, Lord, that you've called me to do this thing, and I'm going to do it. And I'm, go I'm going to do it well, and I'm going to do, do it for love of you. Um, I, think so, I think that's one of, one of, the, one of the major um, things that we could realize that when, we've, when we're kind of living in Christ's peace, I think living the sacramental life well is key. And that if we're doing that, we're, we're, we're kind of humming along. We'd be living in Christ's peace. Okay. You know, if I'm just doing the things the Lord and the church tell me to do that, that's, that's perfectly reasonable to discover those signs. Um, joy, which despite all of father Gregory's like prognostications and self declarations, that he's this really constantly sad person. He's, I mean, we just had a great time hanging out, you know, as we were recording, um, the last couple of days. Um, so, so I think joy is joy is one of the, one of the fruits that accompanies peace, right? Fruits of the spirit. So, so I so I think they overlap and they um, they're signs indicative that that these other fruits are present. True that. So Saint Thomas will say that that peace is an effect of charity. So what you're looking for is love. I mean, what you're looking for is meaningful, purposeful engagement with the people whom God has entrusted to you, and you ask for an increase in the grace of love. You seek what you can do to love God and love them. And then I'll say that peace is like a twofold concord. It's when your will is, as it were, at peace with your other desires or appetites in life. And then when your will is at peace or concord uh, with the other wills of those with whom you live. Um, so there's a kind of peace that you have with God, which radiates through your humanity and into the kind of community more broadly. And so I think that the infallible sign is love, or at least that's how First John describes it. That, uh, you know, if you say you love God, don't you love your brother? Well, then you're a liar. And, you know, like 
the truth isn't in you. So I think that you seek to love, but you don't take your own spiritual temperature too terribly much because sometimes that can actually disrupt the process of growing in love. So those are some thoughts. Yeah, okay. And it's not a feeling, Father Gray Green. Not just a feeling. Okay, so uh, we got one more question here from Katie Schweitzer, nice. uh, who says, sorry, back to books. Any suggestions mm -hmm. on books that walk us through specifically the Blessed Mother's trials during the Passion or how to draw closer to her during Lent? I don't have anything on the Blessed Mother and the Passion per se. There's plenty of things about Our Lady of Sorrows. Mm -hmm. um, plenty of Marian books have chapters about Mary's experience during the Passion. Do you know, Father Gregory, off the top of your head, anything? I got one. Anne Catherine Emmerich, who wrote The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ, also wrote a book about the Blessed Virgin Mary, and it's called, wait for it, Steady, Hold, uh, The Life of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I'm figuring that there is a significant passion piece there, but uh, maybe there's a lot of early life leading in. That's one thing that comes to mind, because like the other Marian books that I've read, are more dogmatic, like the mother of the Savior in her interior life, or the world's first love, or Marian consecration with Aquinas. Oh, wait, the world's what? first love has something about the passion in it, if I recall. But... Yeah. And it's yeah, a lot so, against communism. So, so how do you grow in that, though? Um, Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary, obviously. Um, I think that, uh, ooh, listen to Pergolesi's Stava Mater. That's a great su suggestion, Suzanne. Uh, I love that. Um, so, uh, so, I, so, uh, sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. Um, there are other great, um, Marian devotions, um, that come to mind. I mean, one is the, in the seven last words, there's a, um, there's a last word of the giving of the Virgin Mary. Right. Um, so there are meditations in those, uh, on the Virgin mother. I don't there's know also else. father Romanus wrote the book, the seven, what joys, sorrows, somethings of our lady steady. Dude, I love doing this on the computer because you can just look up the answers to all of your questions. It's a magnificent book. Seven yeah, that is Mary. He, the seven sorrows of the Virgin Mary, right? Seven that joys of Mary is the Magnificat one. Wow. No, he's got, oh, and seven sorrows. He's got both. Yeah, exactly. There it is. Boom. My man. Yeah. Oh my. And there's gosh. a there's a like seven sorrows devotional thing. It's kind of like a rosary, but it's a, another another one. We got ourselves some recommendations there, Father Patrick. The internet helped us mightily. Hey, you use the internet. <laughs> I was completely happy to just make stuff up. So. You were you were crushing it. You've got all these things ready at hand. Also, you laid into ChatGPT earlier today in a uh, in an Alexio episode, so you got that coming your way there, folks. Um, okay, I think. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm I'm for, I'm for you. I'm not against you. I've been using ChatGPT to name things. Like, what's a cool title for a blah 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 this and such? And it's like, oh, it's a oh, it is a f absolutely fabulous brainstorm machine. Yeah, I use it all great. the time. It's yeah. fabulous for that. It's, it's, and I like it's to fight with it too. <laughs> <laughs> Call it the index to Mysticus. Somebody already did. Come on, guy. Okay. Um, so Father Patrick, any final thoughts or final announcements? Um not off the top of my head. All right, guys. We're looking forward to meeting you, praying with you, and hearing from you at two upcoming one day events. So it's March sixteenth mm -hmm. in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'll be there with Father Joseph Anthony and Father Jacob Bertrand. And then uh, April 6th in Columbus, Ohio, at our parish there, St. Patrick's, with Father Bonaventure, and maybe a special guest. Um, so that's oh. it. That's all we got for you. So this is this has been another episode of God's Planning, our podcast and yours. It's just been it's been a joy. Um, so if you would like the video, that is 
subscribe to the podcast, whether on YouTube or your podcast app, and leave a five-star review, if such a thing exists, depending on where you consume these things. Uh, if you would, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook in reverse order of videography. Um, and then if you look in the description and our show notes, you'll find links there. You can follow to our Patreon page if you'd like to support us. You can follow to merchandise. You can follow to more information about upcoming events. So we're looking forward again to seeing you there, praying with you there. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. And we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning.